0: We're starting Encounters with Jesus, a mini-series this morning, and our scripture this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 49. Oh, okay. 7, 1 through 10. Sorry. When Jesus had finished... I got it. When Jesus had finished saying all this, sorry. um, (laughs) When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There... uh, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man under authority, with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent, returned to the house, and found the servant well.
1: Thanks, Cindy. Well, good morning, everybody. Whether you're joining us online or here in person, we're glad you could join us. Uh, this last week was uh, special for me, kind of fun. I got, to, I got the opportunity to travel out to Texas, the Dallas area, where I uh, met up with a partner church who has partnered with us for almost six years. It's been a pre- pretty incredible ride with these guys. And they have actually, they had all, all the church planters out who, who were able to make it of, of some 48 churches that they have uh, partnered to help start in what they call spiritually unresourced parts of the U.S. So we're talking places not known for, for Christianity or being receptive to the, to the gospel. San Francisco Bay Area obviously being one of those. Uh, New York, the Pacific Northwest, Boston and, and the like. And uh, so they've, they've started, they've helped start 48 churches. Current was the 25th. Of those, so that's that's pretty fun. And then there was one moment where I was looking across, like, you know, this room filled with all these these people, and I saw Raymond Hudson. Anybody guys recognize that name? He's the guy we recently started partnering with up in Berkeley. They started a church there, Center City Church. I were praying for them, and I had kind of one of those meta moments where I was just like, man, God is so good in terms of this church, a church called Lake Point out there in the Dallas area, partnering with us to enable us years down the lane uh, to be able to partner with now a a new church startup. And I was just overwhelmed by the Lord's goodness because I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I remember about six years ago leaving there, Uh, after that first visit, sitting and waiting for my my flight to leave the Dallas area and having a moment with God, like, God, how's this going to all work? (laughs) I just don't see it. And here we are now just seeing God do what he he has done uh, in terms of the spiritual fruit and all the rest of it. So we're very, very thankful for churches like uh, Lake Point. Uh, Let's pray and then uh, we'll jump into today's text. Father, we do thank you for churches like Lake Point and others that really apart from you stirring in their hearts to partner with us, uh, we wouldn't be here today and so we thank you for them and we thank you also for the opportunity now, this side of that, to humbly uh, in a small way begin to to, to partner in similar ways with, with new, newer churches. What, what a gift. In fact, we take this moment to pray for Raymond and his family and, and, and their team as they're meeting even now in Berkeley. Lord, would you bless them? Would you raise them up that in a few years' time, they're having the same kind of conversation with their congregation. Thank you most of all, though, for your faithfulness, your kindness, your, your provision to us as a church such that we not only get to meet and experience the joys of community and and the, the learning and growing in you, but we get to be a part of your kingdom movement in a place like the Silicon Valley. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us be, be faithful with what you've given us to help us steward it for the sake of, of the gospel in this area and for impact in our community and beyond. And Father, as we turn now to your word, would you please open it up to us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to each of us uh, personally, whatever you have on your heart and mind? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. So today, as Cindy mentioned, we are beginning a new series called Encounters with Jesus. Uh, we just finished up another series uh, when looking at, in chapter 6 of, of Luke's account, uh, the Sermon on the Plain, or Sermon on the Flat Spot. A series that we called uh, Cross-Current Living. And we saw through this, this famous teaching of Jesus, these cross-current values that he had. Blessed are the poor, he said. Uh, Love your enemies. Don't judge. Uh, live a life on a, on a strong foundation, meaning live a worthy life, uh, building character in me and, and my word, so that you can live a, a, leave a worthy legacy. So we looked at that teaching, it was, it was really uh, beneficial to me, I hope it was to you, but today as we continue through bo- the book of Luke, beginning chapters uh, 7 and into 8, we move more from the teachings of Jesus and the abstract, if you will, to more the relational and, and personal. Uh, and what we see in this next section as we look at these encounters with Jesus, as people, these people having personal and radical encounters with him such that it really transformed their lives. And that's really important for us to consider because we must not just understand Jesus' teachings if we're going to understand what he's about. We need to also understand his heart uh, for, for each of us and what difference that makes in our lives. So today we're coming to the story or the encounter the Roman centurion had with Jesus. And with that, we're going to look at the importance of Faith. Now, before we even get into it, I just want to highlight something that's, that's quite fascinating here. Here is a guy who is known as a Gentile or non-Jew, or put another way, a person who wasn't known as one of God's people, and yet here he is commended in the scriptures as somebody who had incredible faith. Which seems to me that if you're here today, for instance, and you don't identify as a follower of Jesus, this might perk up your attention a little bit. I think you might be a little bit more interested today to really lean in and understand what's going on here. Because here we see the faith of someone who is non-religious. And what that meant to Jesus. And then for those of you who are followers of Jesus, we're going to see also the radical power of faith. And how it can transform our lives. Yes, even if you've been following Jesus for many years, there's much we can learn here today to see how, yes, through faith, the Lord can transform your life, my life, today in some pretty incredible ways. So what we're going to look at is two things. When it comes to the importance of faith today, we're going to look at the posture of faith and the power of faith. The posture of faith and the power of faith. So first, in verses 1 through 8, we're going to look at the posture of faith. So looking again at verse one, it says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, that is when he had finished the sermon on the plain, speaking to the crowd there, he entered Capernaum. That was his home base of a town, Capernaum. Verse two, there, there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Now, this centurion, of course, as his name suggests, was a military leader of about 100 soldiers, okay? It would have meant that he would have been very respected in society then, probably would have been quite feared uh, in, in that day because he held a lot of power. And we're told that the centurion had a servant whom he, quote, highly valued, valued highly. Now, to our English ears, in our English translation, you might be tempted, as I was when I first started studying this, to think that this servant to this centurion amounted to be like, you know, a nice commodity. You know, he's highly valued in the sense that this servant hooked him up with good services, and he didn't want to lose this guy to death because he would you'd lose his services. But that's actually not what's really being conveyed in the original language, lest we lose that in our own English. Because at one point in the original language, the centurion, in describing this servant, uh, and, and his relationship to himself uses the Greek word pious, which is just an incredible word of endearment to say, This servant is like a child to me. So the centurion deeply cares personally for this servant, which already begins to tell us a lot about this guy before we even get much further. But let's look now at verse three. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent, sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal the servant. This was Jewish custom in the day. If you had some sort of endeavor or mission that you wanted to carry out, especially if you were someone of authority, you sent kind of a delegation ahead of you, right? Like this envoy. Jesus himself did this. Like when he had meal preparations to take care of or he wanted to secure lodging, he would send some of his disciples, go, go take care of that. And so no doubt, this centurion who was you know, garnered, had garnered favor in this society probably figured, hey, if I can send some of these Jews, these fellow Jews to Jesus, uh, maybe that will help appeal to this guy so he can come and help my servant. Verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, Jesus, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Verse 6, so Jesus went with him. Now, I find it very fascinating that Jesus went. It tells us a lot about Jesus that he he went here. I mean, of course, it tells us about his care, his compassion, but it also tells us a little bit about his courage and his willingness to give benefit of the doubt. So first of all, let's consider his, his courage in going to the centurion's home. This centurion, having been stationed in the town of Capernaum, meant he would have ultimately reported to King Herod Agrippa. Now, if you know anything about Herod Agrippa, either from the Bible or outside the Bible, you know that he had major issues with would-be insurrectionists. In fact, by this time in Luke, he had already imprisoned John the Baptist because a crowd had been forming around him, and, and John had been saying things about him that he's just like, i got to put him in jail, put him in prison. And indeed, it wouldn't be much time from this point here in the Scriptures that John the Baptist would actually be beheaded by Herod Agrippa. And actually, even Jesus ultimately would be beheaded. Uh, crucified at the workings of this same guy. So therefore, if this centurion worked for him, going to this house wouldn't have been a certain safe thing for Jesus to do. So it was was courageous for Jesus to do that? Okay, I think we can understand that Jesus was courageous given all the other things that he would do in his life. But it also shows in him going to the centurion's house his willingness to give benefit of the doubt. Now, what do I mean by that? Where, where do we see this? Well, let's consider our first header here, the posture of faith. Uh, we see here in this story, the posture of faith that Jesus was looking for was not one of deservedness. Jesus was not looking for a faith that was like from this heart of deservedness. I mean, look at verse four again. These Jewish elders said to Jesus, this man deserves you to do this for him, Jesus. You know, he's, he's bankrolled our synagogue uh, he's, he's friendly with our nation, Jesus. He's helping, he's helping us out. Can, can you do him one, right? That was kind of their, their idea. They went to Jesus with this thought. But if there's anything that's become abundantly clear by this time in Luke's account, it's that Jesus has taught multiple times, God does not help the people who figure that they are deserving. No one is deserving of God's help. And we see that multiple, multiple places. So, for instance, back in chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said, It's not for the healthy that I've come, but for the sick. And the strong implication in that text is that's everybody who's willing to recognize that they need help. And then the first words on the Sermon of the Plain that we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor. We talked about the connotation of that, the force of that being not so much economic but spiritual. Blessed are those who understand their spiritual state before God, namely that they are not deserving. And then perhaps the most clear and articulate place of this thought in the scriptures found in Romans 3 where it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. Uh, The posture of faith Jesus was looking for was not one of deservedness. But of course, this is what the Jewish leaders were trying to impe- appeal to him on the, on the basis of. He says, you, could, could you imagine, you know, these words being spoken to Jesus, the Son of God, okay? I mean, put yourself in the shoes, right, for, for a second. Think, think of yourself as like Jesus, the Son of God, hearing these words. This man deserves you, Jesus, to come help him. And yet Jesus went. He's incredibly gracious, Uh, patient, compassionate. Verse 6, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends, that is envoy number two, to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. It's pretty interesting. This guy sent a second envoy, and it's almost clear that with this second envoy, he said, hey, I don't want you just to convey a message on my behalf. I want you to convey my words. Okay, get my words down here. Because I think the first envoy didn't quite get his words right. They, they, they kind of went with this message, this idea of, oh, hey, I, we know what our duty is here. We got to get this guy, Jesus, to come back and help this centurion servant. So we'll appeal on the deserved nature of this centurion. Just kind of appealing on the, you know, kind of conveying this message on behalf of the centurion. But the second envoy is like straight up saying the actual words of the centurion. You see that? And in saying the actual words, the centurion is saying, no, 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 no. I am undeserving of you coming. I don't deserve it. In fact, he says in verse 7, I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. The posture of faith Jesus responds to is not one of deservedness, but one of unworthiness. Not one of deservedness, but one of unworthiness. Here was a man who probably lived a very good life. I mean, you'd think, right? Relatively speaking, back in that day, if you were a Roman centurion, centurion, highly esteemed, you have power, you have influence, you have all that sort of thing, and here you are asking for this man Jesus, this itinerant preacher, you would think, if anything, it probably would have gone to his head, thinking that he was deserved, deserving, in probably the ways that the first envoy erroneously conveyed but the fact of the matter is he was—he had a compla- complete opposite posture of heart. He said, I'm, I'm unworthy. And actually, in doing so, he was able to have a radical, life-transforming encounter with Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, do you know what this teaches us? I mean, a few, a few things. But it teaches us, first of all, that Jesus will come to anyone. Anyone who will open their heart to him. I mean, here was a, a Gentile, non-Jewish, non-person of God who Jesus went to. And he, he was probably a, a, a pagan, and he probably, given what we know of centurions back in that time, probably lived a life that was probably not all that, that great, and yet Jesus went to him. What this text shows us, it seems to me, is a posture of faith is ultimately, no matter who you are, one of, of humility and one of confidence. Humility in our own spiritual estate, our, our, our own spiritual state before God, and confidence that God cares and can do something about it. So any of you facing anything hard right now? Like in your life circumstances? Uh, maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's, it's a tough work situation where you don't know how things are going to move forward. Maybe it has to do with kids or family. Maybe it's the inability to have kids. Maybe it's, it's a really scary health diagnosis. And you're, you're wondering how it's going to all turn out faith we see here is a posture of humility and confidence. We had a really dear and good friend of current who's been attending for, for a number of years come recently to us and tell us that he is now, you know, he now has late stage cancer. He had been suffering from an illness that the doctors had been saying, hey, it's not a big deal. You're going to be okay. And eventually it kind of was feeling a little better. And the doctor said, hey, you're, you're well, everything's going to be good. But he just, he just knew, he just understood. He's like, no, I'm not. And sure enough, it came back and it actually was cancerous and not just cancerous, but late stage at that. And he came asking for prayer for some leaders. And, and I said, of course, let's pray. And, 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 I, and before he started to pray, we asked him, he said, he said, hey, you know, before we pray, can you just share, you know, what it is completely that you're, you're facing and, and how you're feeling about it, your, like your heart in the midst of it. And he said, my prayer is for physical healing but if God doesn't grant me physical healing, I know that he has already given me an infinitely greater healing in coming to know Jesus and understanding what Jesus did on the cross for me. He said, I'd love to be healed physically, but if God doesn't have that in the cards for me, what I really want is not that. I want his will to be done in my life. And I was just sitting there, even just reliving it with you guys. I'm just like, man. And I was remember vividly the time when I first met this, this dear friend, when he came to Current, uh, back when we were meeting at the Senior Center. Yeah, he had gotten a, a mailer, and uh, I, I forget all the details of the story, but he got a, a mailer to come out, and he didn't come out right away, and he kind of felt like, maybe I should go, maybe God wants me to go. And he's like, but I don't know. And, and one Sunday morning, I don't know exactly how it went, he, like something on the TV or, or on the radio kind of suggested to him a little prompting that he should go. He's like, all right, so I'll go. And he showed up, and man, it was just—I remember meeting him, his smile, and just the, how he embraced community and all the rest of it. Well, long story short, he ended up putting his faith in Jesus. And I'm listening to him ask for prayer and talk about how he's thinking about this prayer, with this humility, with this confidence, with this understanding of the, of the Lord in his life. And I'm thinking, man, this is a faith like the centurion's faith—a faith like one that is recorded and preserved, being commended in the scriptures. That is a a powerful faith. It's the posture faith that Jesus is going for. Humility and confidence. But that leads us also into the next thought, and that is is the power of faith. What is is the power of faith? We see that here in the text in in a few ways. Verse 9 says, when Jesus heard this, He was amazed at him. That is, when he heard the centurion's words of faith, he was amazed. And turning the crowd, following him, Jesus said, I tell you, I have not found such a great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The power of faith, first of all, is the power to heal. This man's faith led to this servant being healed. This, This servant was sick. He was about to pass away from his ailment, and yet he was healed. I think... Christian friends, that in the American church, we tend to downplay this, that God heals. He does heal. In fact, I've been, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go to different parts of the world and talk with different Christians, and it's, it's amazing to me that some of the people who have the strongest faith, especially in regards to healing, God's power to heal, are in places where they don't have, ironically enough, access to modern medical facilities like we do, and they're singing the Lord's Prayer, saying, hey, God's healed this way, and he's healed that way. Friends, that's true even here at Current. We've seen premature babies make it full-term, make it, make it all the way and be healthy. We've seen people with just hard, hard diagnoses go into remission and be healthy and say, God can and does heal. But you know what? The power to faith in this text is not so much about that. That's a, that's a big part of it. That's not why this story, though, is in the Bible. I mean, Jesus did a lot of healings. That's not why the scripture here. So what's it, What's the power here? Look, for instance, back at verse 10. I found this fascinating in my study. I've, I've read this story down the years any number of times. I've never noticed this detail. I, thought, I found it fascinating. Right after Jesus hears the words of faith from the centurion, he goes, essentially, wow, that's incredible. This guy has more faith than people in Israel, like, you know, God's people. It's pretty incredible. And then right after that, verse 10, it says, the, the man who came, the second envoy came, they went home and they found the person healed. You know what's interesting about that? In almost every other time where Jesus heals somebody, he'll have somebody come up and make a request. Hey, would you heal me? Would you heal me of my blindness? Would you, whatever the case may be. And Jesus says, yeah, okay. You know, your, your sick son at home, you can, you asked me about, you go home. You'll find that he is well. We don't see Jesus saying that here. He just goes, huh, that's incredible faith. The servants go home and found him, find him well. Which is also interesting because the centurion basically highlighted that. Jesus, all you have to do is say the word. I have people and my, my, my soldiers that if I tell them to do this, they'll do it. If I tell them to do that, they'll do that. Jesus doesn't even say anything. Just go. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? What's going on here? What, what's, why is this here? Why does this matter so much? The power of faith is not just the power to heal. The power of faith is to amaze, amaze Jesus. Uh, think about this with me for a second. I find this, these words just profound. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these words of faith from the century, he was amazed at him. Jesus was amazed. The Son of God was amazed. He was pleased by it. He's just like, wow, that's incredible. Okay, imagine you are Jesus. Do so reverently because this is kind of a, you know, it's like imagine you're a Son of God type thing. No, no, no. Just okay, You've got it on lock, this miracle, right? You've got the ability to calm the raging sea, to feed the multitude from just a few loaves of bread. You can make the lame walk, and you know, the, the deaf hear. You, you, you've done all that. You can do that. Your ability to do that for this servant is no big deal to you in terms of the miracle nature. That's nothing. But what does amaze you is this man, this Gentile man, this guy who's not known for being a person of God, saying, you know what, I, I, I believe. You know, I trust. I have faith that Jesus can and will do something here. And he's just like, wow, that's incredible. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, think about what this means for, for you and me. It means when you and I face life's hard circumstances, hardships, suffering, whatever the case may be, over and above The wonderful thing of like finding healing or finding deliverance or finding provision, which God cares about and all those things, over and above all that, we have the ability in those times to amaze, to amaze our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior. So get this. I mean, this is interesting to think about, even as it is challenging and wonderful at the same time. It means that hard circumstances, suffering, hardship, whatever the case may be, actually become opportunities, dare I say, gifts to live for the Lord and show him that we're just so grateful for who he is and what he's done for us. Because at the end of the day, that that faith is put in the one who, who essentially went to hell and back for us, who understands suffering, who understands what it means to suffer. That's really the gospel. When Jesus went to the cross to die for us, for the sins of the world, for all who would receive him. He was providing a way when there was no way. He was providing that outside help that we so desperately need and can't do on our own. That's what he did. That's why he went to the cross. And you know what? He did it in the face of not a lot of faith. His disciples straight up abandoned him when he was arrested and went to the cross. That sounds like not all that great of faith, wouldn't you say? And yet Jesus still went. Jesus went even when they were faithless. And you know what? That's the promise for you and me. Even when we falter in our faith. He still loves us, but it also means that when we have times where it challenges our faith, when it is hard, those are actually precisely the times we can most say to the Lord, I love you. I am so grateful for you. As we sung earlier, you are not just God of the mountains, you are the God of the valleys as well. As good as, I, as you are and as I sing your praises when things are going well for me, I say the same when things are in a hard place. It's like our good friend I was describing earlier said, my prayer is for physical healing, but if God doesn't grant me that, I'm okay with that because I know he's already given me the greater, inf- greater healing by far and bringing me back into relationship with God. So let me ask you, and whatever hard thing you're facing today, if you're facing anything hard, whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's family, whether it's kid-related, whether it's work, whether it's health, whatever it might be, have you ever considered that it might be an opportunity, brothers and sisters in Christ, to amaze your Heavenly Father, your Lord and Savior, to please Him? Have you ever considered that that hardship, that challenge, that suffering might actually be a gift to say, thank you, I love you, I'm so grateful for you, uh, it's incredible. Jesus does heal. He can and wants to heal and, and will heal. But not just physically, relationally, emotionally, mentally, and most of all, spiritually. It's all available in Jesus. But what's most important of all that we see in this text is that you and I can amaze our Lord and Savior. You and I can amaze our Heavenly Father. And how do we do that? By faith. So, how can you choose faith this week? Let's pray. Father, it really is incredible to consider that you came into this world to die for us, to live for us, even when our faith wouldn't be that strong, even when it falters. Lord, you see everything clearly. You know that you could provide the miracle, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, whether it's deliverance. When we cry out to you, you can do that. But Lord, will we have faith in you? Will we amaze you in our trust? Declaring in our hearts and with our mouths that you are good even when things aren't necessarily going the way we'd want them to. And Father, thank you that your love loves us even when we are faithless. Which I'm reminded of, what is it, 2 Timothy 2, where it says, even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. So Lord, thank you for your faithful love. Would you help us be a people Marked by our faith in you. Lord, would would our faith amaze you? Because Lord, that's our ultimate aim here is to to bring you glory and praise. I do wanna pray for those who are really struggling right now, whatever it is, whether it's with health, whether it's with a broken relationship, really hard struggles at work, I, I do wanna pray for them and say, Lord, would you just have your healing touch on their lives right now? Would you bring the healing, the provision, the deliverance? We love you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.